Hello, this is Aaron Bounds, pastor of the Anchor Church located in Zanesville, Ohio. I want to say thanks for tuning in today. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you to live the life God called you to live. Let's grab our Bibles today and turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 13, reading with verse 1. Amen. It's good to have Brother Dylan with us this weekend. Praise God. He's got to head out today, but aren't we glad to have Brother Dylan Woodward with us? Praise God. We love you, Brother Dylan. And he is here this weekend, was singing at my niece's uh, wedding. And uh, what an amazing job they did. What a beautiful wedding. It's hard to believe that little girl was married. Where does time go? You ever feel that way about your own kids? And uh, just amazing. We're so glad you're here. And hey, Brother Marcus, Prenda, wake your hand back there. We, we want to say to you, we're so proud of you. He is now an Eagle Scout. He's going to be celebrated today at 3 o'clock. It's amazing. You know, very few have that accomplishment. And you're quite a young man, and we love you here. and so proud of you. I got to watch you grow up, and uh, it's amazing. Genesis chapter 13. I know many are out right now. And uh, again, reiterating, we would not have church tonight. Just trying to be safe. We would It would be pretty much full here tonight if we had church. And we just want to be safe. We realize we can spread the crowd on a Sunday morning with our two services. And please be in prayer. Uh, we want to pray for Sister Paula Shook. Uh, her father uh, passed away yesterday. We want to pray for the her, she and her family. And um, there are some needs we want to pray for. Brother Scott, James Scott is in the hospital. We want to pray for him. And there's many people that are, like in our city, are quarantined and are sick. And we want to just pray over our city and our church. Can you say amen? And so, um, won't we lay our Bibles down and just pray for a moment? Lord, all those watching online today that are unable to be here, whether they're sick or quarantined, dealing with what our city's dealing with and our country. I just pray peace and strength over them today. I know they want to be here. I'm asking you, God, today to touch Sister Paula Shook and her children, her grandchildren, her family. Give them much strength, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Let the comforting of your hand be upon them. In Jesus' name. Pray for Brother James. God. You touch him in Jesus' name. Let there be healing in his body. Amen. Genesis chapter 13, verse 1. Thankful for his word, aren't you? Praise God. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had and lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. And this is Abraham, but had not been given the name Abraham. He was just known as Abram at this moment. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, unto the place of the altar. Everybody say the altar, which he had made there at the first And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. 
In reality, it's saying that he returned to Bethel. He returned to the altar. He returned to the place that God visited him. He returned. Look at your neighbor and say, everybody needs a return. Amen. And what we will find that happened here is what he was just pretty much saying is, take me back to Bethel. Get me to that altar. Get me back to that place where God gave me direction and healing and, and, and his presence. You know what? We need him, don't we? We need God. I mean, need him today. Would you clap your hands and thank God for his word? Amen. You may be seated. Abraham's story is something we've sang about in, in elementary age and Sunday school, we called it. How many remember singing about Father Abraham? Had many sons. And uh, the song almost was like the hokey pokey, you know. And uh, Abraham, and we'd swing our right arm, our left arm, and had many sons. Had many sons of Father Abraham. Abraham's story, though, is that the kids don't understand is that he was not always considered the friend of God. Abraham was a man that before he became known as a Hebrew or a Jew or even the Hebrew people or the Jewish people, you would find that he was the son of Terah. Terah was a heathen, an idol worshiper. And, but there was somewhere in that time frame that God spoke to Abram right where he was, right in the midst of, of tradition, the midst of idolatry in his heritage. God spoke to him and the, and the Lord said, get, he, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. He said, I will make thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed. Where did that happen at? That happened in the land of the Chaldees. It happened to them in the Ur of the Chaldees, that place where he lived. Some people think that God can only speak to you when you're saved. Some people think that God can only speak to you when you've got it all together. But can I remind you, God started dealing with you when you were a sinner. God started speaking. I've seen God speak to people sitting on a bar stool. I've seen God speaking to them when they were in a bad place in life. I've seen God speak to people in crack houses and I've just seen God speak to people that weren't living for him. I think we gotta understand something here today that he loved you and me before we ever loved him and knew him. <laughs> while I was in my sin, the Bible says that while we were yet in our sins, Christ died for the ungodly. So before the devil tells you you're not good enough, you need to remind the devil I'm here and God has already been dealing with me and he loves me right where I'm at. Amen. All these people trying to get good enough for God, you'll never get good enough for God. There's none good, no, not one. What I'm saying to you is this, 
And, and please don't misunderstand my statement there. What I'm saying is you can't live good enough to please him without him. You've got to just get him and say, God's going to start making the changes I can't make. How many believe it's by his grace we're saved? Not by my, my righteousness is as filthy rags. Amen, but God is the one that changes me. Look at your neighbor and say, he loves you right where you are. Amen. You mean God loves this? Loves me in this? Yes. He told Abraham, Abram, in the mess he was in, in the idolatrous traditions that were in his family, in the the Ur of the Chaldees. He told him, I want you to leave here. I've got something better for you. That's the way God does. He saw you in the mess. He saw you in the sin. He saw you in the chaos and he spoke to you and he starts dealing with you. I've had people that tell me things that God has spoken to them over the years and they weren't anywhere near what you would call righteousness of God. They were nowhere near a church house, but God started dealing with them. You know, the Bible says that no man cometh to God except the spirit draws him. Everybody hold your hand up. His hand reaches further down than yours will ever reach up. And he reaches right to where you are, starts pulling, you can't see his hand, but you can feel his hand. You can't sleep at night. You wake up in the middle of the night, troubled. What is going on with me? I remember Jeff Arnold's story talking about when he was, a, he said he was a rounder. He, he, he introduced, great preacher, but he said he was just, he just a slob doing his job. That's how he would say, he's a, from, the, from the Bronx and uh, in New York and, and uh, had, had a rough background. And he said when God started dealing with him, he said he woke up one night and rolled over and looked at his wife. They were about to get divorced, but he looked at her. He said, if God called me to China, would you go? She said, Jeffrey, you're drunk. Go back to sleep. You're drunk. He said, I can't understand it. He said, I got up, went to the refrigerator, opened it up, and I said, I popped the top on a cool one, meaning alcohol, and started drinking it. And he didn't understand what it was, but he was, something was dealing with him. Finally, he went to the church and went to the altar and repented and gave his life to God. Amen, was baptized in Jesus' name, and God filled him with his Holy Spirit. Amen, isn't that powerful? Isn't that powerful? Became a powerful preacher. That's changed so many lives. And I want to say to you today that just like Abraham, before he had it all right, God called on him and said, I've got something better for you. Number one, quit ignoring what God is doing in your life. Amen. Number two, start responding to what he's doing in your life and say, God, I can't do it without you. I need you, but I'm going to go to where you want me to be. I want to be what you want me to be. Somebody say amen. So he leaves. He finds himself at this place called Bethel. At this place, you'll find that God, verse seven says, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Everybody say, build an altar. And he removed from thence into a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent having Bethel on the west, the west, Hey, I on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. He was between Hey, I and a place called Bethel and he built an altar. Can I say each and every one of you today, you're between Bethel and Hey, I. Hey, I means the ruins. Hey, I 
means the ruins. Bethel means the house of God. Every single one of us in this building are in between. Bible calls it betwixt. We're between what could be the ruin of our life and the greatness of our life. Everybody in the building, every young person that's listening to me, every marriage that's here, you are between what could be the ruins and what could be your future of blessing. Somebody say man. And it was here where God had appeared to him that he got down and he built an altar. He, he built this altar before the Lord and it was called Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. This is where the precedent was set on what the house of God should be. The house of God isn't where we come and, and mark off our religious obligations. The house of God is not where we come just so the preacher can see that we're here and he won't call us when we're absent. The house of God is not just something we go through religiosity and go through the motions and say, well, I went to church, now God has to. That's not why we're here. The house of God is a place where an altar you build before him is, where he appeared to you and he gave you direction for your life and saved you from the ruins. Can I say, he brought you out of heathenism. He brought you out of sin. He brought you out of chaos. He brought you out, come on, he brought you out of you. He, you were a mess when he called you. Somebody say a mess. Praise God. And God called you out of sin into his marvelous light. Amen. Brother Zion, I even told you in the nine o'clock, but you remember what I'm telling you. Philippians chapter two, verse nine says, you're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a peculiar people. And you should show forth your praises to him that called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Can I preach to you for a minute? Is that God comes to where you are and he calls you out to where he is. God never pushes you toward anything. He doesn't push you to where he's not. He always reaches in your heart and draws you to where he is. That's why we don't live for him, we live with him. Can you say amen? And when God starts dealing with a man, no man cometh to God except the spirit draws him. I want everybody to draw with me, come on. Draw with me today. Where's he drawing to? He's drawing you to him. Somebody say, say he, he's brought me to him. There's a, there's a verse that says, he brought me out of the miry clay. He brought me out of a horrible pit. He set my feet upon a rock and he established my going. You know what that means? There was a pit that you were in that you could get, could not get out. But he walked to where you were, he reached down that pit, he picked you up and he set you on solid ground. You're no longer wavering in the things you were. You are no longer spastic in your mind. You're no longer troubled in your spirit. He has established you. Let's clap our hands and thank God for his word. Amen. There's a verse that says he brought me out to take me in. He brought me out of Egypt to take me into the promised land. He's not just bringing you out of sin. He's not just bringing you out of the Ur of the Chaldees. He's not just bringing you out of a curse. He's not just bringing you out of tra family traditions that are destructive to your family. He's bringing you out because he's got a plan for your life. He's got destiny written all over. He didn't bring you here, amen, for nothing. He's got a plan for you. I wish somebody would shout, he's got a plan for my life. 
Oh, he had an amazing experience and God speaks to him. He, he gives him these promises. I'm gonna make a nation out of you. He looks at him. He says things like this. He said, Brother Dylan, he said, we're so glad to have Brother Dylan here. Amen. Amen. Praise God. He looks at him and he says, you're gonna be a blessing. That's what he told him. He goes on to say, he said, the whole, every family in the world is going to, on the earth is gonna be blessed by you. You're gonna be a blessing. Others are gonna be blessed because of you. You're gonna be blessed. You're not only coming out of chaos. You're, you're gonna be a conduit of the blessings of God. People are gonna become better because of you. I'm gonna work through you, work through your life. Amen. Doesn't that make sense in the New Testament? They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. How and why? Because the Lord is not just in you, he's through you. And God not only comes to you, he comes through you, that when you lay hands on somebody, healing begins to happen. Miracles can take place. You begin to give words of wisdom, understanding. You become somebody that people can look up to. Somebody that the family, that in their dire need, are dependent upon you. Because why? He didn't just pull you out of that mess. He's taking you unto greatness. And you can settle if you want to and just say, I'm just glad I'm not going to hell. But that was never the will of God. Hell was not made for people. It was made for the devil and his angels. People can go there. Lost soul can go there. That's why we preach the way we do. But that was not ever supposed to be our destiny. How many know that? And some people want to be saved so they won't go to hell and they're missing it. He came to save us from our sins. Why? So he could work through us to become the great things that he's always wanted us to be. I'm telling you, there's a leader in you. There's a light in you. There's direction in you. There's a wisdom in you. There's a difference maker in you. There is a blessing in you. Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about me and you. Amen. Well, I don't know if I'll ever fit in. Quit talking like that. I don't know if I'll ever be good enough. Don't talk like that. His grace is sufficient. He's gonna change me to what I'm supposed to be. Somebody say glory. So, I mean, I mean, he gets a word from the Lord. How many love when you get a word from the Lord? It feels good when the prophet comes up and prophesies. Pastor comes up. Some praying saint that you trust comes up and gives you a word. Whoo. Oh, I feel that, I believe. You know, when somebody comes up and says there's a curse about to happen in your life, you're like, I don't know if you're on or not today. You know, somebody comes up and says, you're gonna get a raise, you're gonna be blessed, this is gonna happen. You're like, you know, I just believe you've been in touch with God, amen. We're gonna receive that word, right? He heard directly from God. I'm gonna bless you. Those that bless you, I'm gonna bless. And those that curse you, I'm gonna curse. I mean, that is a word. And God not only spoke to him, but he appeared to him and he built an altar there and he called it Bethel. Everybody say Bethel. Bethel means, by definition, the word means the house of God. He comes out of that place and when he does, he looks and there's a famine in the land. You know, you know if we're not careful, we start questioning what God said he's gonna do based upon how things appear around us. Just because God spoke it doesn't mean you're gonna easily see it the next day. He wakes up, he's got a word from the Lord. God speaks directly to him, God appears to him and when he looks around there is a famine in the land. Everything is drying up, the rain's not falling. It's hot, leaves are withering. And you know what he does? He gets scared. 
He starts questioning what God said. God said, I'm going to give you this land and it's going to be a, a place where your children can dwell and your children's children can dwell. And, and, and this land, everybody say this land. Watch what happens. He gets up, he gets scared and he goes south to Florida. To Egypt. He goes, hey, don't go to Florida right now, amen. Look at your neighbor and say, don't go south. You know, he goes south down to Egypt. And when he gets to Egypt, he gets there and he realizes how good looking of a wife he has. She's 75. There's hope for every senior in the building. Can you say amen? <laughs> 75 years old. And he says to her, he says, now listen, when they see you, when we get to Egypt, the servants there are gonna recognize how pretty you are. She must've been good looking. And said, they're gonna give work to the king and the king is gonna want you to be his wife and is gonna kill me. So if they ask you who I am, ask you who you are, you just tell them that you're my sister because she was a half-sister. That's right. And so sure enough, they get to Egypt and guess what? Word gets to the king, gets to the king that, that there's a beautiful lady that's come from out of town and, and guess what happens? They send for and, and they ask Abraham who she is and he said, this is my sister. And he takes her to be his wife. And somewhere during the night, before he can make her his wife, God gives him a dream and shows up in Pharaoh's dream, the king of Egypt, and says, if you touch her, I'll kill you. That's my own words. Is this pretty much right? Amen. Same way you touch Cindy, amen. Glory to God. I'll let you finish the sentence, amen. Hey, but that's what, but that's what was happening. And, and he, the king has a dream in the middle of the night and says, you touch her, I'll kill you. And he comes up shaken, troubled. And he sends word for Abram to come. Abram shows up. He said, why didn't you tell me that was your wife? God said, he's going to kill me. You get her and get out of here. And uh, let, me, let me talk about this moment because what I have learned is that emotions are needed in our lives. Two weeks ago, I talked about becoming your seer conscient about about things in your life. I don't want to have a conscience seared to, to my conscience. Amen. What's a conscience? It's when you feel bad about things that God feels bad about. You love things that God loves. Can you say amen? And what happens, a conscience, can be, when it becomes seared, you will, you will, you will not feel bad about the things you shouldn't be doing. And if we're not careful, I preached that a couple weeks ago. Last week, I talked about the valve. Everybody, everybody turn the valve back on. The same valve that allows you to feel grief when you lose a loved one. The same one that lets joy back in your life when you need joy in your life. Don't turn the valve off. Look at your neighbor and say, don't turn the valve of emotions off. And I talked about that. If we're not careful, when we don't, we don't want to deal with pain. We don't want to deal with loss. We'll reach up and turn it down. Then you can't feel joy. You can't feel peace. You can't feel happy. You can't feel love. Why? Because you didn't want to deal with the pain of life. Life sometimes isn't fair. How many know it's true? And what, he, and what Abraham did, and I'm not going to spend time on, on that, just emotions, but Abraham had this other element in him called fear. Amen. We all have it. We've all dealt with it at some level. If you have any, any valve of emotion at all, that when something happens, you're going to deal with an element of fear. How many know it's true? How many's ever been scared? A life decision, something in a job, something in the economy, something with your kids. 
And, and you're, you deal with an element of fear. And when he had looked up and the famine is in the land, he started questioning what God said he's going to do. That's why he left that land and he went to Egypt. When he gets there, he's in question about God's word and God's word was this, I'll bless those that bless you and I'm gonna curse those that curse you. He should have walked into Egypt by saying this, honey, we don't have to worry because God said anybody bless me is gonna get blessed. They come against you, they're gonna come against God. We don't have to worry about the king, but that's not what happened. He said, they're gonna kill me if they see you. How many know he had forgotten what God had said? Come on, you know why? Because fear will lie to you. Fear will tell you things that's not true. And if we're not careful, we will allow our emotions to become something so a part of us that they become out of control. You have to be careful how you deal with your emotions. You can let fear go too far. You can let depression go too far. How many believe that? You can let anxiety go too far. That's the truth of the matter is. You have to learn to control your emotions when it comes to the negative emotions in your life. You can grieve too deep. You can think too much. Look at your neighbor and say, you can think too much. It's just the truth. Dwelling on a thought. Hey, I'll give you an example. You can lust. When lust is conceived, you can have thoughts of lust. They're gonna pass through your mind at some moment in your life. You can dwell on that until it becomes a part of your heart. He said when lust is conceived, it brings sin. You've gotta cast down some imaginations. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. How many believe that? Casting down every imagination which exalts itself against God. If you're not careful, you will build narratives against people that love you. If you are not careful, you will build stories about things that should not be in your life. You will allow your imagination to swell up to something that is not even reality. You will, you will worry until you have pictured what the scenario is gonna happen that will never happen and you fret you can't sleep, you're anxious, all because you let your emotions get out of control. Do you know emotions are a gift? Look at your neighbor say emotions are a gift, but they have to be regulated. That's right. There's only so much pressure in, loud in this building. We have a pressure regulator out there. Do you know that? In every building, if you have city water, and my, my dad knows about this because if he wants more pressure in his house and have more powerful shower, he knows where the regulator is and he knows how to turn that screw and get more pressure out of his shower. But if you let all the pressure that's coming in there, guess what it's gonna do? It's gonna blow out your water lines at your elbow connections. You're gonna have water shooting everywhere. Your house is gonna get flooded. You know why? Because you didn't regulate the pressure. When emotions come to you, they're gonna to come to you at some level of pressure because emotions are from God. You were made in his image. Jealousy, anger, joy, peace, grief. All of the Bible says his, he was a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. God was. Do you believe that? He got so mad one time, he tied a whip together, turned over all the money changing tables in the building. He whipped them out of the building and said, you've taken a house of prayer. You turned it to a den of thieves. I mean, he took care of business. I mean, no, it's true. I, when I was a kid, they used to sing this song. It said, self-control, self-control. I got so mad, I kicked the door. I stubbed my little toe. I learned a little lesson about self-control. 
You can punch the wall and break your fist. These sort of look silly, you know. What happened to you? Can't tell you. I'm gonna tell you what happened. You, you let go of the pressure regulator. You let it break the elbow, if you will. You, you let it explode. And that's why the Bible says this. Watch this, I'm teaching you and I'm gonna preach. We're gonna end. The power of God's gonna move in a moment, but you need to hear what I'm preaching. We have, we have come to know not regulating, we have come to numbing. We're not taught to regulate emotions in our culture. We're told to numb our emotions. That's the fact and it's a problem. Can't feel. Young girls come to the church and we start ministering to them and they got scars from here to here. Razor blade marks. Why? Because they're numb emotionally because of the tragic in their lives as young children and they cut themselves. Why? Just so they can feel something even if it's pain. That's not the will of God. I said, that's not the will of God. To feel so devalued that you don't want to even live, think about taking your life. You don't need to let your thoughts be on suicide, that you're not valuable. You need to turn that off and cast that down. Can you say amen? Hey, listen, there's a problem in society when 12-year-olds are thinking of suicide. 10-year-olds are thinking of suicide not feeling valuable. You know what we need to feel? We need a baptism of confidence. We need a, a baptism of love, a, a, a baptism in us that says we are valuable. There is a plan for my life. I've got a great future ahead of me. This generation doesn't think. Well, watch this verse. I'm gonna get back to this regulation in a minute and then I'm gonna preach to you. Look what it says in Ephesians 4 and 26. Look what it says. This is a, a commandment of the Lord. Look there, he didn't say if you're angry, he said be ye angry. All you angry people, there's your verse for you. I got Bible, I can be mad, amen. Be ye angry. Because if you turn off anger, you'll end up in depression. Depression by one definition means anger turned inward. No, no, no place to express that, that's safe. You're allowed to be angry. You can't tell your kids not to be mad. When you're the one mad at them for getting mad. I remember spanking one of my kids one time. It sort of went something like this. I, I only give them about three licks, but I was spanking and said, you shouldn't hit your sister. I'm spanking them. I'm hitting them for, you know understand what I'm saying? I never, I never spanked my kids when I was angry. I, I never put whelps on me or anything like that. But, you know, I was just, you know, the Bible says spare the rods, pull the child. And there's some element of discipline there. And uh, I think we got to be careful to tell our kids, don't get excited about that. Don't you dare cry. Don't you get mad about that. I think we have to be careful. There should be. And I've been wrong in that with my own kids. And what we got to learn is to train up a child and they need to be able to be mad. I ain't never heard of this taught, but that's what he's teaching. Be angry, but don't get out of line. Be angry, but don't let sin. Don't be angry, but don't cuss. Be angry, but don't degrade. Be angry. You know, a couple gets mad, a couple gets mad and their, their teeth are gritting. Instead of be angry and keep your mouth shut, it's be angry and maybe we should have never got married. Maybe we weren't meant for each other. We don't even get along anyhow. And if it's not long, we become angry people with no limits. You've got to regulate the emotion, but have emotion. 
Look at your neighbor and say, this is good teaching. You need to hear this. And what happens is you feel because you're angry, you got every right to express it. You go down to where the main water line is coming into your house. You screw that screw as loose as you can and water comes in, it busts out all the water lines and next thing you know, you're throwing dishes. Went to a family member's house one time and there was dishes everywhere, broken. Boy, they got to fight. I was glad I wasn't there when they were fighting. I'd have got hit with, in the line of fire, you know what I'm saying? Be ye angry and what? Sin not. How many's ever got angry and got out of line? Everybody. James says a man that offends not in the word, that, has, that offends not in word, the same as a perfect man. But the, how much trouble, a little fire kindling. How many's ever said something when you were mad, you wish you'd have never said it? Maybe to your children, maybe to your spouse. And you say something later, you credit, you're crying. I'm sorry, I should have never said that. I'm just mad, I'm sorry. We've got to learn to be wise. And by the grace of God, we can control that. I've seen angry people get saved and they become gentle giants. They were fighters. They were the guy that was in the road rage and that God saved them. Next thing you know, they're praying for people, blessing for people. They don't care. Somebody said it doesn't bother. Why? Because God changes us. He gives us the power to regulate lust, to regulate temptation, to regulate emotions. He gives us the power to be stable. To be stable. You're gonna have loss. You're gonna have disappointment. You're gonna have famines, if you will. My, I feel something in this building. We can't act the way the world acts. We can't act unsaved when something doesn't go our way. The Bible says a a man that doesn't control his spirit is like a city without walls. I want everybody to put walls up. Now I want you to let your walls down. That's unregulated emotion. I can act how I wanna act. I can be how, I can say whatever I want, I'm mad so I can do whatever. You're gonna mess up, you're gonna bring things and watch what it says, go ahead. When you, walls aren't just keeping you in Walls are keeping stuff out. Come on, put your walls up. Look at your neighbor and say, don't get that mad. Are you ready for this? This one's gonna hit you right in the forehead. You ready? You're talking about mad. It just sounded the right thing to say, amen. You can't get that afraid. That, get that fear. Fear, come on, put your walls up. Fear will always be followed by Deception. You'll start believing things that aren't true if you let yourself get too fearful. And he said, be ye angry and what? Sin not. Are you ready for this one? Let not the sun go down on your wrath. What that means is there's a time limit on anger. There's a time limit on emotion. That means God has given me the ability to turn it off. And when I get to a point, be angry. But don't hold grudges for 10 years. Don't hold that against your spouse. Don't hold that against your kid. Kids, don't you hold it against your parent. You don't hold that against that person. You don't hold grudges because something somebody did. Grudge, that, that, that's a wrath. I hope, they, I, hope, I hope they get what's coming to them. Oh, I forgave them, but God's gonna judge them. Come on, let's get real with this for a minute, amen. Oh, I've been praying for him. Yes, I have. But God's going to take care of business because vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Glory to God. Amen. I'm not touching him, but God's going to kill him. Praise God. And I'm, I really, you know, that's not forgiveness. That's just, you want God to do something that you wanted to do and try to be spiritual about it. 
It's true. I know how Christians think. I'm going to get them a bottle of water. Give your enemy a bottle of water. The Bible says give them a drink of water. You'll heap hot coals in their head. So you go get them to drink. You, you're, you're giving them bowls of water. And you, they think you're blessing them. You're just hoping God's going to put hot coals on their head and burn them up. Amen. Oh, I'm blessing them. Yes, I am blessing them. Oh, God. Come on, Jesus. Help me. Help me. Take them out, Lord. Come on, we're real. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're not going to get angry. But God gives us grace to have the wall up and say, I, I can be angry, but with limitations. I can be emotional, but with limitations. I'm going to grieve. I'm going to have moments of loss. But I'm not letting myself get to a stupor of depression for five years. I'm not going down that way. Look what it says. It says, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down in your wrath. That means before the sun goes down, you say... It's going to be all right. I want you to know I forgive you. I love you. Would you forgive me? I'm sorry I've been upset the way I am. And uh, we're not going to hold this. Now, now kiss me goodnight. Amen. Boy, this is marriage counseling. Who's, who in here needs some marriage counseling? Praise God. Same with the kids. You know, my dad could spank me, and I needed it. He always did it with love. But it didn't feel like love when he's spanking me. My boy, my boy, my, not my boy, my brother. My brother one time... My dad would used to make this statement. I don't know why, but he'd say, go in the bedroom and prepare for your spanking. What does that mean? <laughs> go prepare for your spanking? My brother went in there. He put 11 golden bear books down the back of his pants. <laughs> he did. He had 11 of them stuffed down the back of his pants. My dad came in to whip his deformed son. He's like, what? I'm just preparing for my spanking. Amen. I'm just. But you know, my dad, my dad could spank me. We were having this conversation just a couple days ago. He could spank me. And I'd hide. I was ashamed. Never hurt me, never bruised me. But long he'd come looking for me. Aaron, I slide up under that couch. Y'all heard me say that. I slide up under the couch. He pull that little flap and look under there. I am. One, one pinstripe on my pajamas, like a sheet of paper sliding under that couch. That's so skinny. He said, come here. He put me right on his lap and hold me and say, I love you. Because failure is not final. And watch what it says. Neither, and the same, don't let the sun go down in your wrath. Why? Neither give place to the devil. If I hold grudges, I'm going to place for the devil. I'm allowing offense in my life. I, life, bitterness in my life. If I allow that to go too far, the devil is now in my life. You don't believe that? Look what happened to Judas when he got offended at Jesus and the Bible says Satan entered him. And now you're dealing with emotions that are not natural. You're dealing with emotions that are instigated by a wrong spirit. Why? Because the walls came down and you're like a city without walls, which means I have access to some of the most chaotic things I've ever seen in families when I got to the root of it. There was somebody in leadership in the family that had no regulation on their emotions. They would blow up. You're not telling me what to do. You're not going to do this. I will not. And I'm trying to be cordial. I'm trying to say this is what we need to do in the meeting. And they will not. No one's going to tell me. And they explode. All the elbows come off the water pipes and they're explosion in the house. God does not want that to be us. But we learn from Abraham. Look, look at the next verse. I'm going to move on. I'm spending more time here than what I thought. Look, look what it says in Philippians chapter 4. Let's turn there. Y'all okay out there? Amen. Some of you thinking, oh, my lands, you've been talking to pastor? Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, straighten up. Praise God. Look at it. Look what it says. 
Go ahead, Philippians. Do you have that? Philippians uh, 4, 4 and 6. It says, be careful for nothing. Another translation says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known unto God. Instead of coming to God and saying, Lord, this is what I need in my life. You come to God and say, I'm, I'm, I'm terrified I'm gonna die. Oh, this is gonna happen. We operate in fear. We live in anxiety. We live in, 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 a, in a place that we feel like what God said he's gonna do, he's not gonna do. We can't approach God like that. Because the opposite of love is fear. But perfect love casteth out all Fear, I come to preach to you today just because the famine's in the land doesn't mean you're not gonna be a blessing. It doesn't mean that God's not gonna bless you. It doesn't mean that God's not gonna fulfill what he said he's gonna do. He's gonna do it. He is going to fulfill his word. We cannot be a people that walks by what we see instead of what we believe. We gotta walk not by sight, but we gotta start learning to walk by faith. And if God said this, then he's gonna do it. He's gonna fulfill it, he's gonna bring it to pass, and God's gonna bless me. He's gonna bless my family, he's gonna bless my mind. Come on, anybody believe it? He's gonna bless me, he's gonna bless me. Somebody shout, he's gonna bless me. And so when I take care of business, how many's ever went to say something and the Holy Ghost said, you know you shouldn't say that? Regulation. Amen. How many's ever went to something and you went to watch something? The Holy Ghost said no. You went to respond. The Spirit of the Lord said no. Maybe a temptation come in. The Spirit of the Lord said no. Why? Because God gives us his spirit so we will stay in the right path. I don't want to fall into a stupor of grief. I don't want to fall into a stupor of fear. Amen. I feel anxiety in the building right now, but God's going to set you free. Be anxious for nothing. But in all things, with prayer and supplication, God, I feel like you're going to fix this. Is there anybody in the building that feels that way? God's going to take care of me. He's going to take care of my life. Come on, I feel the anointing of the Lord in here. I really do. Amen, amen. God's gonna take care of me. Look at your neighbor and say, God's gonna take care of me. So here he is, he gets his wife back. You know, she's probably a little mad at him. I can't believe you let me go to that. God's gonna make me his wife. Honey, I'm sorry, I was scared. I thought he was gonna kill me. But I thought you said the Lord said. He's gonna bless those that bless you. I know, you don't have to tell me. I know what he said. My problem was I started looking at my circumstances instead of listening to the word of the Lord. I know, and by the way, I'm sorry I've taken you to Egypt. I'm sorry that I took my family to somewhere that God never intended for me to be. I left Bethel because of fear. I left Bethel because of emotions that weren't regulated. I should have never got that offended. I should have never let that happen. I let myself get bent outside of the spirit into the flesh. You know what? I've made a mistake. And I want you to know, honey, we should have never went to Egypt. Egypt is a place that separates families. It kills spiritual authorities. Ends up in slavery. Amen. Amen. I don't want to go to Egypt. Look at your neighbor and say, don't take me to Egypt. I wish some wife look at the husband and said, don't take me to Egypt. There's nothing there but chaos and confusion and theft and stealing and, 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 and a world that's gonna do. Listen, we're going home and honey, I just want you to know, and maybe you're watching by way of the web today. I wanna say to you, if you're watching by the way of the web and you left for some reason or another and you, the house of God, the Bethel, the place where God gave you a direct word, you listen to this preacher, I don't know who I'm talking to, but I'm preaching to you, is you can come back to Bethel. You can return to the altar that God spoke. Why don't you look at your spouse and say, we're going home. Come on, won't you look at your spouse and say we're going home.
We're going back to the place that God gave us a word. We're going back to the place that God spoke life into us. We were broken, we were busted, but God spoke to us and we had some things that happened. I'm going home. I wish somebody stand your feet and shout, take me back to Bethel. Take me back to the house of God. Take me back to a place where God's gonna bless me. Amen, 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 amen. I'm going home to Bethel. My children are going home to Bethel. Somebody shout Bethel. I want my kids to have an experience in Bethel. I want my wife to be blessed in Bethel. I want my children to be able to worship in the house called Bethel because that's where prayer is. Somebody shout prayer. A family that prays together, stays together, we've heard it. Can I say what we need at the anchor? More than preaching, more than singing, we need an altar. You gotta have an altar. It's the altar where everything changes. It's not good enough just to have a move of God and preaching. We've got to have an altar where we commune with God. He said, honey, I'm going back to Bethel. Why Bethel? Look at your neighbor and say, why Bethel? I'm gonna tell you why Bethel. Because it's where the altar was built. It's where a covenant was made. That's where I told the Lord, I'm gonna live this life. I'm not wavering. I'm not going to about to and fro being taught. I'm going to Bethel because I made a covenant there. I built an altar there. You want to have a great walk with God? Don't just be a church attender, but have an altar built here. You've got to have an altar. No altar, no passion. You love everything but God without an altar. Struggle from Sunday to Sunday with no altar. But you give me a person that has an altar. I'm gonna show you somebody that can regulate every emotion. Your blood pressure will be better. Your heart rate will be better. They've proven it. People that have an altar and read their Bible. Regulation begins to happen because he is my source of strength. He's my source of emotion. Do you believe that? I want everybody to say this. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I can forgive. I'm telling you what I feel in the spirit. God dealt with me in the nine o'clock service for this service. I'm not letting bitterness take over my life. You ever heard what bitterness is? It's drinking poison, hoping your enemy dies. It's called haterade. Hoping, bitter. I heard a story years ago. I'm, only, I'm telling you, I'm gonna obey the Holy Ghost. Years ago, I heard a story. My, my uncle, my uncle owns an orange grove in Florida. Beautiful, all kinds of trees. I don't know how many trees he had, but a ton of trees on his property. So when I tell the story, I picture his orange grove and, and grapefruit grove, and tangerines. And, but this man planted an orange grove and had all hopes for this orange grove. Said after the trees had matured and so many years and he went up and he had plucked an orange off of that grove and when he peeled it, took that juicy bite out of that orange, when he took a bite of it, it was bitter. He spit it out, couldn't believe these were supposed to be sweet oranges. He went to another tree, plucked an orange and peeled it, took a bite out of it, spit up. Every tree in the grove was bitter. He looked around, he brought a specialist in from one of the local colleges and horticulturalists to come in and 
They couldn't find why it was bitter. He finally found an old timer that was from the area and he walked the perimeter of the property. Oh, brother Gators, as a pastor, I've seen it. They walked the perimeter of the property and finally he looked across on the opposite property was a blackjack tree. A blackjack tree is different from other trees because a blackjack tree doesn't just gather from its roots, it also produces stuff from its roots. And what happens is a blackjack tree produces bitterness into the soil and it will align its roots around trees and put bitterness into their roots. He said the problem isn't the grove. The problem is there's a blackjack tree here that's defiled your whole grove. Get rid of the blackjack tree so your, so your fruit can be sweet again. I thought about this last week when the Bible says bitter water and sweet water can't come out of the same well. We've always talked about what you're talking about, that that's what that means, but that's not what necessarily in principle what it means. It means you can't be free in the sweetness of life if you don't get rid of the blackjack tree in your heart. Watch, there's not a ton of bewares, but there's a beware in, in Hebrews. And it says something like, beware, lest the root of bitterness spring up and defile many. Every relationship tampered, every relationship bitter, every relationship something wrong with it. Why? Let's go somewhere. You gave place to the devil. What was offense became bitterness. You let offense, somebody offended you and let it go too far. You let it get too far. Now bitterness is settled in there. And Peter said to the Lord, Lord, if somebody offends us, how quick, how often should we forgive them? The Lord said, if they offend you 70 times seven, he said, forgive them. Hold on, 490 times? 490 times. Why? Because forgiveness isn't for them. It's for you. It allows the offense to die before it turns into bitterness. And you know what God has given us the ability to do? Not only regulate fear, not only regulate these different emotions, but he's given us the ability to deal with offense. My, 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 my. I feel the anointing of, of the pastorship of this church upon me so mightily. I refuse to be bitter. I wish somebody would say that I refuse to be bitter. It's going to affect my children, my relationships, my relationship with God, my relationship with everybody. You got to get rid of it. Guess what? His grace is sufficient. He said, there's a thorn in my flesh. And God said, my grace is sufficient. I believe in this room today, there's some people can be healed of things that happened 20 years ago. Come on, there ought to be a hearty amen in this building. Hearty amen. I can forgive. I want everybody to say with me, I can forgive. Someone told me one time, they said forgiveness is when you set the prisoner free and you find out that you were the prisoner. I'm moving on. I'm not holding it. I'm not letting the sun go down in my wrath. I'm not heaping hot coals in her head. I'm not asking God to kill her. I'm just going to move on, forgive him, let God do with him, her, whatever they need. But I'm moving on and I'm going to be blessed. And my children, my children are going to call me blessed. Man, I'm preaching in the Holy Ghost right now. My children are going to call me blessed. Do you believe that? Many years ago, I want, I want everybody to look at your neighbor and say, take me, take me back to Bethel. 
How many's ever been offended? Some are saying, yeah, you, pastor. Probably. His word can be offensive. I don't always do it right. You have any relationship in your life, they're not perfect. Come on. Your spouse isn't, your children aren't. I'm not. Only one good. He's sitting on the throne. He wants to live in our heart. I, will not, I want you to turn to somebody and say, I will not hold it to your charge. I will not hold it against you. Come on, turn around to somebody and say, I'm sorry. Can you also tell somebody near you, I'm glad you get angry? I, you know what? I just realized there's Bible for this. Are y'all ready? You ready? Righteous indignation. It's in the Bible. You can have indignation and be righteous. Don't turn off the emotion. Regulate it. There are people in this room that can walk away right now and not deal with anxiety again. It's going gonna, it's gonna to try to pass through, but you don't have to hold on to it. Fear is going to try to pass through, but no, God's going to take care of me. I'm going to cast down every imagination. Oh, I wish somebody would praise him in the building. He revisited the altar and he called upon the name of the Lord. I don't want to, I don't want to be lost. They're going to sing a song and we're going to pray. Everybody say, get back to the altar. It's not a house of God that doesn't have an altar in it. I'm going to say this. They're going to sing and we're going to move on. But what good is church if you never build an altar in it? You never respond to the word and get on your knees and say, God, he's right. Your word is true. I need to change my heart. I need to get this out of my life. God, I know you're going to bless me. You don't want to just God talking to you. You got to talk back to God. Come on, that's what an altar is. That's where I talk to him. I hear him, but I respond. Amen. Pray. Come on, tell somebody next to you, you need to pray. Altars bring fire. It burns out the chaff. It burns out the unnecessary things. When you're, when you're too low, get on your altar and the Lord will regulate you up. You get fear trying to come, it'll, it'll stabilize fear. You get too angry, go to prayer. God, I'm so mad right now. Next, I know you're calm. Everything to God in. Somebody say it with me. Everything to God in prayer. I want you to ask God to forgive you all over the building for acting out. Unregulations. Come on, I want everybody in the building. God, I'm sorry for the things I said. Can't believe I acted that way. Can't believe I spoke those things when I should have been quiet. Slow to speak. Slow to angry. Anger. Quick to listen. Quick to forgive. I want to be quick. To, I want to be like you. I want to be holy. I want to be holy. God, I want to be holy. I was at a I was at a funeral. I'm closing, I promise. I was at a funeral. There was tension among the siblings, cousins, uncles, nieces, nephews, 
Some people hadn't talked in 10 years. Hadn't hugged each other in 15 years, 20. Bereavement was in the room at the loss of that loved one. And my cousin got up and sang at that funeral. And when she started singing in the presence of Jehovah, the Spirit of the Lord moved in there and it pushed out the bereavement that fast. It pushed out the, the contention that fast because His presence is fullness of joy in His presence. The Prince of Peace. And what you need right now is to come back to an altar called Bethel and let God do what you've not been able to do with medication, what you've not been able to do with counseling, what you've not been able to do with vacations, overtime, and purchases is to let His presence come in and heal because He made you a promise. You're going to be a blessing. Come on, you've held on to some things that God's going to let you let go of today. There's a blackjack tree about to die in your life. And she started singing in that service. I'll never forget as long as I live. In the presence. We're just singing if you know. Thanks again for listening to the Anchor Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Zanesville area, we invite you to join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at theanchor.church. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.